pray with me, please? Father in heaven, oh, these are serious songs tonight. And so we come to you, and may you see our heart. May you've heard with our lips and our voices. But now may you take a look into our hearts, and do we dare, do we really dare survey the wondrous cross? Not just glance at it, not just quick, but survey it. Maybe from top to bottom and realize what the heck cross truly means for each and every one of us. Sometimes when we've been raised in this gospel message, we, there's a danger that it almost can become a little ho-hum. But Lord, may that never, may we never be guilty of that. May it be that every time we hear that song or whether we have an experience that takes us to that cross, that we are never, ever bored with the story that we are more and more in awe of the story as we see ourselves clearer and clearer and we realize just how badly we're in need of that Savior. So tonight, may, may we see that these songs have a purpose and that even Daniel, you cannot miss how this, this book is just referring to Christ and how we can see so many similarities and how the Old Testament truly does point us to our Savior. Father, we, we want to take it all in tonight. We desire so badly to hear from you. And so, Lord, may we, may we desire it so much that may we dare to be a Daniel. May we surrender all. May we see in this lesson tonight that, yeah, it's a familiar story that we know so well, but it goes so much deeper. As we look at the characteristics, the exceptional characteristics and qualities of Daniel, may that be something we want. May, may we desire to look at this beyond a story and say, what did he have to make him like this? So, Father, we're ready. We are ready for you to teach us. And so, Father, we humbly come before you. And may we picture that because it's true. You are here. Your presence is here. We welcome you, but we are in awe of that as well. So, Father, tonight, we don't want to miss anything. And, and you know every heart that is here tonight. You know every home that's represented. You know exactly what every one of us is going through. And, Lord, your word is going to help us tonight. It might not change our circumstances, but I would say it's going to change us. And sometimes that is the lesson we need most of all. We come to you and we want all of our, we want, to, we want to be happy and we want everything comfortable. And sometimes all you're, all you're doing in that suffering is to show us who you are and to form us into what you want us to be. So, Lord, we are ready. And we praise you. We love you. We lift our voice. We worship you. Take joy. King Jesus, and what you hear tonight, because it's going to be all about you. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. So, all right, here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. All right, we are in Daniel 6. Tonight, and you know, did you, did you kind of think that it's going to be a, oh, I know that lesson. I've learned that since I was a little kid, and, but there is so much more. And I, I think when you leave here tonight, you're going to be so glad that we took it word for word, line by line. Now, um, last week was kind of a sad story, wasn't it? I mean, we, we left here, and I, and I had to say these words. I had to say, and... Belshazzar, because he didn't take that white space between verses 21 and 22, when he had the opportunity, when Daniel told the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and then Daniel says, I know you know this. He was even told by the queen 
He had every opportunity, and I say that space between verse 21 and 22 was when we, he had, even if that space means only five seconds, he had the chance to say, I want that. I repent of my haughtiness. Do you know that haughtiness, pride, is one, according to the Proverbs, Haughtiness, that prideful self on the throne kind of attitude, that's one of the seven most detestable sins. It's one of the sins that our Lord hates the most because he knows the damage of what happens when we're just so caught up into ourselves. And because Belshazzar didn't, was not willing, he was not willing to conform to God's terms. I think if we're learning anything, we're learning that God has certain terms. This is how it's got to work. And if you don't abide by it, I mean, we are seeing God's judgment hand over fist. And that's the way he handled it in the Old Testament. It was for us to learn that, that there are consequences to disobedience. Now, We've talked about that New Testament and the age that we're living in now. You know, we're not seeing judgment happen just like that. But, but don't, don't get lax. Don't get lazy in that thought process. And then think that maybe, oh, maybe that's not going to be that big a deal to them. That, that, that sin is not that serious. Just because, you know, we're, we're not, you know, dropping dead or just like that or, you know, we saw a lot of God's judgment in the Old Testament. But always know that there, every sin, every sin will be dealt with, everyone. No one is going to get away with anything. And every sin will be dealt with either under the blood of Christ when we come in repentance and accept his forgiveness or it will be dealt with as we face him as judge. So that's just what God's word says. And we saw last week that, you know, because he did not respond. I mean, it says that that very night, Belshazzar, Belshazzar was, was killed. And I had to say to you, and he's going to hell. I mean, it's so terrible. And no one likes to hear those words. But when you do not respond, that's why that is the unpardonable sin. When you do not listen to the voice that's telling you to say yes to a Savior, to humble yourself in need of a Savior. Because the Holy Spirit, that's his number one job, is to draw you and I to the cross. And if we will not respond because we think we are self-sufficient and we think maybe it just automatically happens because I lived in West Michigan, or that, and you can name many of your credentials. You did so many things. But the only thing, the only way, it's through the cross and our repentance and our humility. Those are words that Daniel has repeatedly, we've seen over and over. So now, now we know that Darius is king, and now we know that the, the Babylon Empire has now gone to the Medes and Persians. Now, you know, we just, we just go into the next chapter, and we still kind of picture Daniel as, as that, you know, teenager that we saw in the first, first chapter, second chapter. But by now, things have, you know, if you do the timetable, Daniel is, he's right up there. He's in his 70s, maybe. Because it isn't going to be long now before they are told that they can go back to Jerusalem. So I just want to give you an idea that, that Daniel is an older man. But yet we saw how many years that he was under, well, he was third in power, and now we see tonight he's almost going to go to second in power. So he has been a, his, his life, his testimony has definitely been influential. Daniel has not wavered. Do you remember, and we should sometime, one of these weeks that we're in this book, we should sing, I don't know how many of you remember, come from the old school, 
maybe it's just a Bible hour song, I don't know. But the chorus went, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. You know, when I was a little kid, I always sang so loud. They always had to tell me to quiet down. It's just, I sang with gusto. But that's just a fact. But the thing is, I might have sung with gusto, and, and maybe the Lord was starting something within my heart. But I never totally understood that. I knew that Daniel was sure was brave going into the lion's den, and, you know, all that kind of thing, just as a little kid would but this past week, I started going over that. It's like flashback. And I, I didn't even, I couldn't even believe that I remembered all four lines. But then it, it made such sense to me. Now that we are in this sixth chapter, and we've gone through one, two, three, four, five, and now in six, and we've really got to know Daniel. And we've all loved his character. We just loved how confident and brave he is. And then the song kind of says, do you dare? Do you dare do what Daniel did? Are, are, can you honestly say, dare to be a Daniel? Dare to stand alone? That's not comfortable. Dare to stand alone sometimes? Dare to have a purpose firm and boy, that we see tonight. And dare to make it known. Wasn't it all ashamed? So we're going to read the first few verses. And look at this. It pleased Darius to appoint 100 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Huge kingdom. And he put three administrators over them. One was going to be Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So it's kind of like chain of command here. And so now he has, he has put into place 120 rulers, but he's put three that are over those 120. And this does not settle right and even after Daniel has been there all these years, it still doesn't settle right. Now, verse 3, because tonight I don't want to just look at Daniel in the lion's den. I want to have us look at what makes Daniel, Daniel. If we like him so much and we want to be like him, then what does it take to dare to be a Daniel? Because look at verse 3. Now, Daniel is so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. I think Daniel was just a delight. The king, the king, I think, really respected him. He re saw these exceptional qualities. He, it says the words, and now Daniel so distinguished himself among those other two. Daniel stood out. There's no doubt Daniel stood out. And the reason he stood out is because he had exceptional qualities. So what are those? I, I thought, okay, let's just think. What exceptional qualities does Daniel have that makes him who he is. And my first thought right away was the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, I mean, it's so obvious we see this unconditional love that he has for, well, for God, of course, but he's got an unconditional love for these pagan people, for the king. He has, he has this um, joy even being in exile, I don't think that when, da when Daniel was young and he was being taught by his parents, and, but as a young boy, I'm sure he had dreams and goals and expectations. And I dare say being in exile for his life was what he expected and dreamt about. 
But we saw him take such, he, he took such a different, he, took, he had a choice. He could have sat there and become useless and with a chip on his shoulder and what a waste. Or he could decide to trust a God who had him in this position for a purpose. So, exceptional qualities. He had this love. He had this joy. He had this peace. I mean, even tonight you see him when he's been told this decree, and yet he has this unexplainable peace. Patience. He has this patience, this waiting on the Lord. He has this kindness, this selfless attitude. He understands that goodness means that it might not be his definition, but God's. He knows that the Spirit will produce this faith, this trust in him. I mean, you can see it. You can see that he does. And then you can see this gentleness. And it's not that he was wimpy by any means. It was because he was so sure of who he was. He knew where he belonged in God's family. He knew who his God was. And that, that just produces a confidence. And even when you're so confident, you don't have to yell and scream and debate. You're just that sure. And then you see so that he has a way of controlling self. He has a way of controlling what naturally, because you'd think after all these years in that high position, wouldn't you think that he would have kind of started blending in or that he started going along with the culture and all that? I mean, we talked about that when we started this. But I think we're really seeing it now, especially now that he's this old. So he has these exceptional qualities. I think he has an outstanding work ethic. And I think even though last week we kind of went into, you know, the talk about Belshazzar and we even got off on parenting a bit. But I think it's so important that we read all of our realities into this, into scripture and, and see how come, how come Belshazzar wouldn't listen. And it was one of two things, and that's what makes you look. It was either parents that didn't tell them. Or it was that he was an adult now and he could pick and choose what he wanted and he just chose. So I don't think we were far-fetched last week going into that. But this week, I don't think we're far-fetched in moving in the direction of what does a good work ethic look like? That you don't have to compromise who you are in Christ and your, your beliefs and I mean, he was in a tough pagan situation, and yet he never wavered in his testimony. I think Darius put him in a high position because his work ethic was bar none. I started thinking about that. I, I even found verses. I found verses that kind of shows what the Apostle Paul explained about I mean, we, we as human beings, let me just tell you, this, this past week or last weekend or whatever, I was in Meyer, and, and I saw three employees just standing there, and I couldn't help it over here, and all they were doing was just complaining and grumbling, and this job stinks, and I mean, they used other words that I don't want to say, but I was very aware and I thought, well, you know, that just permeates. And maybe it isn't the greatest job. Maybe that wasn't their dream job or whatever. And as much as I just didn't like to hear that, I thought, thank you, Lord, for such a great illustration. Because that's just exactly what we're seeing in this lesson. What did Daniel have? 
that made him have exceptional qualities. And I think work ethic was one of them. And, and Paul, he, he too didn't have his dream job. The Apostle Paul. I mean, he graduated from Pharisee University. He's expecting to go places. He's expecting everybody to just be awed by him. And all of a sudden, he meets Jesus, and he gets called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he had to take the gospel to where the gospel has never been before. And I bet when he sat in some of these dark, stinky, yuck prisons, I bet he didn't say, oh, this is just what I dreamed. It's just what I'm on. I bet when, when he was left for dead after beaten to a pulp, I, didn't, I don't think he woke up and said, oh, this is just what I wanted. And same thing with the shipwreck and all those things. Toward the end of his ministry, he's sitting in some of the worst of prisons, and he writes these spectacular letters to us, which we should be listening because he's saying, shape up. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to not have. I know what it's like to not be in my dream job. He writes in Colossians 3, whatever you work at, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. He says, you got to work at it. And you do it with an attitude as I'm not working for this company. I'm working for the Lord. And he's trying to teach us that that will change our whole frame of mind. But I suppose if you don't know the Lord, all you're thinking about is yourself. And so if it's not your dream job, then you are going to complain, complain and grumble. But he's writing to the people and he's saying, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart and do it as you're working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance. You're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. I kind of looked at that. It's so chip up. Maybe it isn't your dream job, but work as unto the Lord. I think that's what Daniel did. Then, then in Philippians, Paul writes, and we know that he's in some stinky prison now. It's the worst. And he writes, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. And I love this part. Without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you are able to shine like a star. We get our walk right with the Lord in this depraved world that we live in. We have the opportunity to shine like a star. Come on, get it together. That's basically what Paul is saying, and I think that's what Daniel is trying to say to us. You, you want to dare to be me? Then this is what it takes. The exceptional qualities allowing the, the spirit to work. And then out of you comes those nine gorgeous characteristics of Christ. You get a better attitude. You start shining like a star. Because remember, it said he was distinguished. He, he, he stood out. Well, you know, if you're looking in a dark sky and there is a bright star, that star stands out. And he's saying, in a dark, depraved world, we are able, with a testimony, we are able to shine, sparkle for our Lord Jesus. Paul also writes, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And then to be able to say what Paul says, isn't this, when you hear this verse all the time, isn't this what you want said about you? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And you bet I have kept the faith. Don't you want to be able to say that? You talk about no regrets. You started out by saying, come on, no more complaining, no more grumbling. You might be in some kind of exile, 
Come on. Work it as if you're working for the Lord, because you are. So that you can shine like a star in this darkness. And then he writes to the people of Thessalonica. I, I loved his bluntness. If a man will not work, he will not eat. That's what he says. And so this whole thing with work ethic, I think it was one of his distinguishable qualities that ticked those guys off. And because we've got an enemy, and I never, I never, never like to give Satan the time, but I think every once in a while we've got to make ourselves aware that we are up against an enemy. An enemy who's got two goals. The number one goal is to keep us from the cross. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah. His number one goal is to keep human beings from going to that cross. And he will, oh, he's got a bag of tricks. And he will do, he will do, he will use the most unbelievable situations or people. You've got to be on your guard. You've got to know what you're up against. You've got to know that he's just prowling, waiting to get. He's trying to keep people from the cross. But then don't get too cocky and think, well, I've been there, so, you know, he's not going to bother me anymore. No, you're right. He can't possess you anymore because Jesus does. But if you think, I mean, even Jesus, all the way to the cross, Satan was nipping at his heels. He will try to do what? He will try to make you and I ineffective. Because he, he, might, he might think, well, I lost her, but I'm going to keep her sonicky and complaining and panicked and fearful and grumbling and down and defeated and because there isn't anybody that's going to say, ah, oh, let's see. I think I want what you've got. See, you won't bring anybody along. You are not shining like a star. You are not standing out in this depraved generation. So I think it's important that we're aware that this is not easy. We are up against a strong force who, by the way, is stronger than you and I. Satan is stronger than you and I. Yes, he is. Now, fortunately, he is not stronger than the one who is put inside of us at the day of our salvation. Right smack on the second that we've come to the cross, we've been given this gift, Paul says. The gift of his spirit, who is definitely more powerful than Satan. The thing is, if we don't activate him, Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows. He knows our, our um, well, weaknesses, but he also, he also knows when we're down and defeated, and, and he knows when we're vulnerable, and he will come after. It's very important, I think, that we know that. We've been warned. We put on that full armor of God, which is if you go through that full armor of God, you know, like the belt of truth, that's Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness, that's Jesus. The helmet of salvation, that's Jesus. What Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 is put on Jesus every morning. Get your walk with him. Make sure that you're listening to his spirit. That you're letting him lead and guide. Satan can stand that. But don't think, don't think that you can be so spiritual. I, I call it spiritual cockiness, and that's so dangerous. We let our guard down. Maybe if I, maybe if I put it this way. Years ago, I had the, this, oh, she, if I told you her name, you would know who she was, and that's not important. She had a, a, an alcohol problem. And she came to the point where she knew that she had an alcohol problem. So she called me up and said, is there anything you can do to help me? 
And I said to her, I said, well, I do know that the only thing that's more powerful than your addiction is God's word. Using the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. And together, you'll, you'll be fine. I said, you willing? You willing? Are you, are you game? Are you, are you game to, to work at this? Yeah, she was. Every week, every week, I either, went, I either went to her house or she came to mine, and I would give her, we would go over a lesson, and just like here, I had questions for her. She had to do her lesson every week. We'd come back the next week, talk about it. And for a whole year, she was doing fabulous. I think she got a little spiritually cocky. I think she did. Because one week she calls and she says, um, I can't make it this week. Well, those things happen. I understand that. The next week she called and came up with something else, so I won't be there. Now I should have. Oh, my goodness, do I wish I'd have dared. I sure have come a long way since then because I sure would say something now. But I didn't. I was, I was still kind of afraid of who she was in the community, so I didn't dare but, oh, man, I should have. I made the biggest mistake. I should have said, be careful. Be careful. Are you still doing your lesson? Are you still listening to God's spirit? Are you still letting these words come off the page for your life? I didn't. I just. The third week, the third week, she didn't call and she didn't show up. So I called over there, and her husband answered the phone. And she said, he said to me, oh, Linnell, she is in a bad way. She is a mess. See, she got a little spiritually cocky, didn't realize how she had to work hard at this. And she had to stay clinging to the Lord. She totally misunderstood that. Oh, I, I know now. I got it. No problem. I don't have to spend that time with her every week. I mean, I've got people to see and places to go. After all, you know who I am. Oh, that's just such a, a dangerous. That, that we're seeing right now is just having a hoot and a holler. I went right over there. Drove right over there. She's sitting in there. She is a mess. She sees me. She starts to cry. She says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I went over there and I just hugged her. And I said, you know what? You know what you learned here? You learned a very valuable lesson here. You learned that you are not more powerful than your enemy. And your enemy wants you dependent on this alcohol. And you thought after a year that you, that you could handle it. But your Bible was shut. Self started taking over. And it, it's bigger than you. Satan is bigger than you. Your addiction is bigger than you. And so we made a commitment right there and then, and we started all over again. But we learned a very, very valuable lesson. I know she did. All of a sudden, you don't realize you're smart. You don't realize you, all of a sudden, you realize you're not so powerful. The only thing that we can do to combat this enemy and ourself, because that's what he loves to use most of all, is getting us to look at ourselves. It's a very valuable lesson. And to me, that helps me to understand, okay, what made Daniel not fall into temptation? What made him not fall into the culture of the day? What made him not fall into, wow, I really worked myself up into quite a position here. And because you're going you're gonna to see, now we get into the story that we all know. Verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for the charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find, they could find no corruption in him, 
because he was so trustworthy and he wasn't corrupt or negligent. In today's terms, they tried to find some dirt on him and they couldn't. They could not find anything. They could not find anything to get him. Yeah. And I could stand up here for hours and tell you <laughs> that I understand that. I have lived it. You can't believe the rumors that I heard about myself. You can't believe what people have tried to do. You can't believe that if they can't find something on, on you, they'll make it up. So I understand that. These guys got together. I can just see them concocting a plan. And down deep, they've watched They've watched Daniel. They've seen his testimony. They've seen his service for the Lord. They've seen him not buckle under. They're smart enough to know this. Finally, when they couldn't get any dirt on him, oh, believe me, if I didn't know this story so well, I would have been able to write it anyway because I, I would have known what they were going to do. Let's go after, let's make something up or let's go after his faith, his God. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. See, they knew, they saw, but their jealousy and their selfishness just took over that instead of wanting what he had, they thought, let's get rid of him. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king. Can't you just picture that these little weasels, they, they come as a group, you know? They think as a group, you know, there's power in that group. Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Boy, I'm buttering them up, and they're just making Darius. And what did we say? What, what does pride do? It blinds you. It blinds you from reality. All of a sudden, Daniel wasn't even thought about. All of a sudden, he's so puffed up. All the vain things that charm me most. All of a sudden, he's listening to them. Yeah, you know what? For 30 days, they should worship me. They should bow down to me. Because after all, look, who, look at who I am. Look what I've done for them. I'm sure he tried to justify it. I'm sure, I mean, by this time, pride has taken over. And he thinks, this is a great idea. But all this, this whole group, oh, they've had a few committee meetings. And they have come to the conclusion that, you know, when he comes to his senses and he thinks about Daniel, oh, he could just change the whole thing. So let's... So they took their plan and concocted and made, them, made the king so that it was irreversible. Oh, they were thinking. So verse 8, now, O king, issue the decree and put in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. You know, because I'm so important, all I have to do is sign my name and everybody is expected to do what I say. Oh, he was flying high. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times, now 
don't miss this, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Okay, he heard the decree. He heard it was irreversible. And he knew that the punishment was the den of lions. Is he panicky? Is he running around in disaster? No, you know what he does? The same thing he does every day. You know what? His prayer life didn't just kick in that day either. Isn't that true? Sometimes our prayer life gets real big. It gets real powerful. When all of a sudden something happens. I loved the way he's on his knees. He goes on his knees. Now, I know that's sometimes not as easy for some of us anymore, but I think we can get into the frame of mind of kneeling. Otherwise, I think that's why I knelt by, by Jason's bed for so many years, because I knew that kneeling was a humbling posture. It was almost like a begging posture. And boy, we are beggars coming before the Lord God. So he always knelt, but his, his consistency, his prayer life started back when he was a kid. And you talk about a habit that he just continued. You want to know, you want to know why Daniel dared be Daniel? It's because of these verses right there. Because of his prayer life. Because when you commit to three times a day... Did, did it cross your mind? I know it did mine. I might as well just admit it. I wanted to say, why don't you just shut the drapes? Or why do you have to do it right in the window? But I think the Bible helps us to see. Because he doesn't have to defend himself, and he's not going to change. And this is what he does every day. And by facing, by kneeling and facing toward Jerusalem. You know what he was doing? He was facing toward home. That's where he came from. That's where it all started for him. That's where he knew and probably learned from his mom and dad how much God loved him. He probably recalled those days and he remembered that God said, after 70 years, I'll bring you back there. His eyes went toward home. God is faithful. God is able. This gave him strength. And another thing, when you are on your knees, how the Holy Spirit will give you scripture verses. That's why it's so, it's, it's so important that we study God's word because when we need it, because it's in our heart, the Holy Spirit will help us recall what we've learned at just the right time. But I found a couple of verses, and I, I never connected it before. But, you know, Daniel, he had the scriptures. I'm sure that he had the Psalms of David. I just wonder in his prayer time, that day, if Psalm 22, verse 21 came into his mind, that the Holy Spirit was able to help him recall. Because I never knew this before. I didn't know this was really in there. I've, I've looked at Psalm 22, but I never, never connected it with Daniel. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Did you know that was in Psalm 22? And that it was, it was maybe that verse that Daniel read. Maybe it was David's psalm in Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. I mean, come on. He's an older man. He knows that these lions, he goes into that lion's den. He knows that in all reality, it's not going to take much to rip him to shreds. I am sure, because he's human, he's not Superman, I'm sure that there was an element of fear that went through his mind. That sounds like an awful death to me. That sounds awful. 
And then right at that time, the Holy Spirit helps him recall. I sought the Lord. And he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Not from the circumstance. He delivered me from the fear of the circumstance. See, God's word is our ammunition from falling into temptation and falling into what is naturally human. Could it be that he heard, because he knew the prophets, he, he knew that Isaiah wrote the words of the Lord, they that wait on the Lord will find that their strength will be renewed. They that wait on the Lord will find that they can mount up with wings as he's goes. I wonder if this was going through his mind during prayer time. They that wait on the Lord will find out that they can run and not become weary. They that wait on the Lord can walk and not faint. And I bet when he got up from his knees, after even knowing the decree, the irreversibility of it, the lion's den, I bet he woke, I bet he stepped up, stood up, and his strength was renewed. And his fear was gone. So, Three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, give thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group. Because you know what? As I was going through, I could just picture these nuts. I could picture them in the bushes, just waiting, just waiting for him to do just what they knew he would do. I envisioned them after, after he got up, and even though he was empowered, they didn't see that. All they did probably was got him. Because right after that, look, the whole group went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. And in a very sarcastic, know-it-all, smug way, by the way, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? See, they don't mention Daniel. The king is still puffed up. So just want to go over this again, Mr. King. Did you? Yep. Oh, yeah, I sure did. The king answered, the decree stands. In fact, in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Oh, I'm telling you, he was big shot. Then, uh, verse 13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles, and I'm sure they wanted to say, who is your favorite? Who can do nothing wrong? And you've put him in places that we should have had. It's not fair. I can, I can just hear him. I was reading between the lines a little bit as I put myself in this story. They didn't do that. All they had to say was, yeah, yeah we got him. That friend of yours. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. That was a lie. Daniel had respect for the king, or the king wouldn't have kept him in his position for all these years, and now was ready to put him second, from third to second. Daniel respected the king, but when it came down to it, 
When he was, when he had, it was between him and his God. It kind of reminded me of Peter in Acts chapter 5, where Peter finally said, we must obey God rather than man. The only time that you and I are allowed to disobey the rules, to disrespect authority, whether we agree with them or not, the only time we have the permission to disregard what they say is when it goes against God's word. So it's not that Daniel ever disrespected the king, but now he's been challenged. But that's what they said. Oh, he, he just always disrespected you, paid no attention. He did not pay attention to this decree or the fact that you put it in writing, he still prays three times a day. Reality set in like a stomach ache. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. I'm sure he thought, what did I do? What did my pride just do? And he made every effort until sundown to save him. Daniel's testimony, Daniel's distinguished, exceptional qualities. Darius knew every one of them, and he is sick. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Oh, this was snotty. This was so snotty. Now that the king knows that it's Daniel. See, this is, we knew he would do this. We knew he would soften. So, oh, by the way, remember, king. Remember that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict of the king issues can be changed. Oh, remember. It's snotty. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God. See, Darius is not quite, he's coming. He's not quite claiming God as his yet. But you know, we're all on this process of getting to know the Lord better. He's watched Daniel's testimony, his lifestyle. He understood that Daniel had one God that he served continually. So that's why he said, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. And I said right out loud when I got to that verse, I thought, good. Good, because, you know, sometimes when we lay there and we can't sleep, I mean, in this situation, there's no doubt that God was working on Darius's heart because it's not his will that any perish, even this pagan king. Sometimes when we lay there and we can't sleep, it's like the Lord is saying, okay, now I finally got you where there's no distractions, You've got to take a look at your life. There's nothing that will, that will cause you lack of sleep than a guilty conscience. And boy, Darius had it. And sometimes I think this is such a lesson. Sometimes if I can't sleep, I think, oh, Lord, what have I done? And I have to reevaluate what is displeasing to you? Why have I missed the mark? I know there's other reasons we can't sleep, but in this case, we know that the Lord loves us so much that he says, you and I, we're not going any farther till we get this cleared up. 
and you get back on the right track or you get on the track to begin with. He's working on this man. At the first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. See, when we know the story, did you ever catch that before? Oh, I knew the king didn't sleep, and I knew the king went early the next morning. But I never caught till this study, till I read it every day, and I went word for word. He spoke with an anguished voice. Oh, it was a bad night. The Lord worked on him good. He was weary. And he had an anguish. He was so concerned. His heart voice came out in anguish. And he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered. I bet this was so exciting for Daniel to be able to say because he understands, okay, Darius, I know that the Lord's been working on you, so let me prove who God is. Yes. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not heard me because I was found innocent in his sight. You know, when he said that, he's saying, I didn't fall into myself. I didn't panic. I didn't fall into temptation. I did it the way I always know. I prayed about it. I let scripture take over my mind. I am innocent. I, found inno I was found innocent in God's sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Did that trouble you a little? Did you think, what did those little kids ever do to you? But again, let me reiterate that in the Old Testament, God showed his judgment immediately. And there were many times after Israel would conquer a city, the Lord would say, destroy it all. Don't take anything for yourself, especially in particular cities. Don't let any person live. And I know it sounds so cruel with wives and children, but there was an instance where one of the kings did not do what God said and kept some, let one of the young men live. And that young man turned out to be one of the worst kings and ended up to be an enemy, one of the worst enemies of Israel. It's kind of like, when David became king, he was cultural culture said that he could kill everybody in the house of Saul. Now we know he didn't, but the reason why it was said that there was permissible because in case there was a bad seed, in case there was a bad gene, when God got rid of evil, he wanted it rid of. So I know. I know it sounds cruel, but God knows what he's doing, and sometimes we just, by faith, have to trust him. And there they reached the floor of the den, and, be, and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now I thought, you know what, I didn't really need that. I could get the point. I didn't need to have that visual, especially when you talk about wives and children. I didn't need that. 
but I think it's in there on purpose because there would be some goofball that would look at this story and say, well, you know, I think right before Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, they had just given those lions a big fat meal. So he wasn't even hungry. They weren't even hungry. I mean, you know people will do that. And I think we, we see that when, this, when these wrongdoers were put into the lion's den and immediately every bone was crushed, proved that these lions were hungry. And that God did send an angel. Whether that be the pre-incarnate Christ, we don't know. But we do know that whoever was shut the mouth of the lion's Don't give me that. I thought that they weren't hungry. At the king's command, well, then Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. I'd say we've we've got to change man. May you prosper greatly. I guess you would decree that in every part of my kingdom. People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. I know it's the God of Daniel, but look, I know he says that, but look now what he says. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That was quite a decree. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now in closing, I just want you to go back because I read it quickly, but I wanted to close this way. Verse 17. I had you, with one of the questions, I had you take a look at this verse. So... I'm sure you didn't even need a question to be able to see when you read. A stone was brought and placed placed over the mouth of the den. I bet it didn't take much for you to figure, huh, this sounds familiar. I hope then you started thinking, this Old Testament, it does point to Jesus. Because as you read, and then you see how the king sealed it with his own signet ring. Oh, that's exactly what happened. You you can't help but think that Daniel was put in there because of a, a plan. A wrongful plan. And we know Jesus hung on a cross because of a wrongful plan. No, we're grateful. I mean, God knew, and this is what he used, but it was, it was the Jews. It was those who wouldn't believe he was who he was. It was the Romans. It was our sin that put Jesus on that cross. They went into, now I know Daniel walked into that lion's den I know he was alive when he walked in there, but in all reality, he was a dead man. We know Jesus went into the grave dead. But may I just say, they both walked out alive. I tell you, it's so exciting to be able to just connect all the dots and see what God's word is trying to do for us to point us to our Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson, which was far, far more than the miracle of Daniel in the lion's den. Thank you for showing us why he was set apart, why he stood out, why he was like a star in a dark night, why he had exceptional qualities. 
how we dare to stand alone, to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Because he knew your word. He fought the enemy with your words. He fought the enemy on his knees. And whenever we fight the enemy on our knees, he flees. Whenever we get in that humble state and we go back to the cross, he can't stand the cross. That's why we go to the cross so many times. There's where the power is. With the Holy Spirit showing us and reminding us to survey that wondrous cross. Yeah, not not quick, not quick glance. No, survey and realize what that cross did. But Lord, thank you that we can end tonight knowing that we are praying to you and you are so alive. And because we have a God that lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear can be gone. Because he lives, we know who holds our future. We can know, we can know that. We can know the end of the story, and we win as your children. And that's what makes life worth the living now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.